Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. And today, instead of giving our hot take review on a game we just finished playing, we're going to kick off a four-part series about board games as stories. And we're going to be kind of talking about the different elements of a story and how that translates into board games and some of their strengths. So uh, to give you an example... Every, bo- every story has an intro to it, it has development, it has a climax, and then it has a... What's the last? Conclusion. It has a conclusion. A denouement. <laughs> Resolution. And, and many board games have those same, so same type of elements, and, I, and we think some of the best board games do those things well. You can kind of feel that exciting introduction and then just kind of a build up over the course of the game until you get to a big climax. And then the conclusion can be really fun and interesting. Some of them can't, you know, are not. So we want to call out the ones that are. And uh, I thought this was a really interesting topic for us to kind of do over a series. So we can focus tonight just on the intros, just on, you know, the introduction, just like in a story, the, intro- the introduction is what t- introduces you to the, the characters, the setting, uh, you know, wh- what happened? Why, why is this story happening? And good board games can do the same thing. They can get you excited right from the beginning, can really drop you into the excitement. And um, and so that's what we're going to start with today. Do you guys have anything you want to add to that before we start talking about our top five? Just want to warn everybody that we're going to use a lot of really technical terms. And this is going to be kind of like the intro to literary criticism. So, you know, get out your style guide. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not really going to do that. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm glad you called that out, Chris, because... I actually looked up the structure of a story after Adam came up with the idea for this for this premise, and the reality is that if you looked into the you know the academic description of story structure, it's not four pieces, and it's not these four pieces. There's a whole bunch of different ways that stories are structured, but you know the, I think everybody's going to understand generally what we mean when we're talking about these elements and how they fit into you know how they fit into the conversation. Well now I'm curious Tim what were some of the elements of an actual story academic definitions? Yeah, from what I can tell there's a couple ways that stories are you know like when you talk about story structure, one way is to talk about the three act structure, which you've probably heard of with movies and stuff like that and then there's elements within those acts that are pretty traditional. Mm-hmm. And then with stories there was like seven pieces to it where you know like the other alternative that I saw there was like a seven part structure and you know they had some of the elements that we talked about but they weren't exactly the same they they maybe had other things added in there so again i'm not going to get all academic on your butts here i i can't speak to it professionally or successfully but i will uh i will say that i think the four elements of a story that we're talking about people will recognize you understand what we're talking about okay no academic butts my friend (laughs) so um the other thing i wanted to mention before we start talking about this though is that we are changing the cadence of our podcast a little bit and that in the past we have been doing three review episodes and then one special episode. And starting this week, we're going to switch that up. We're going to start doing every other week is going to be a review episode. And then the alternative weeks are going to be some special topic. And uh, we're doing that for a couple of reasons. One is it allows us to try out some new formats of content, kind of like this series, because if we were going to do this series over you know, once per month, then this would take us four months to get through and a drag. But now we get to do it over two months, just a few few quick weeks back and forth. And then, um, but we also have some ideas on other content that maybe aren't the typical top five or top 10 list that we usually do at the end of the month. Uh, we have some content we want to try kind of in the middle. And, and I think it'll be some really exciting, some fun conversations and uh, we'll see how it goes. But let's jump into the top five. Now, we actually intentionally didn't discuss what the introduction means to us in relation to board games. And again, I want to be clear that we're not talking about 
storytelling games. We're talking about board games, the structure of a story and how they're applied in board games. So when we're talking about the intro and a story, of course, you're talking about, you know, you've just met the characters, you've just met the setting, things like that. And with board games, I have a very specific idea of what makes a good intro to a game. How did you guys apply this? What what were you thinking about when you picked your list? Well, I tried to think of it the way that I think about a movie or a book. And so it, it's kind of traditional in that sense. Like, I have a feeling that when Adam gets to it, he's going to be come up with some pretty wacky, creative and um, interesting ideas. Uh, mine was a little bit more traditional. So I started kind of with this premise that I'm being told a story the same way that I would be in a movie. And so learning who the characters are, learning what the setup is, learning the the rules of the game, so to speak. I mean, when you watch a movie, there are certain rules that apply. If you're watching a sci-fi movie, you don't expect to see cowboys coming out with their six guns. You expect to see aliens, that sort of thing. Or if you go to a comedy, you don't expect it to suddenly get scary in the middle. So it's all of that stuff put together, kind of setting the ground rules for the game. Where is this thing going? What do I expect here? And who am I going to be observing throughout the the length of this story who are the characters that's the stuff i was thinking about when i thought about the setup of the game well sorry to disappoint you chris i don't have any cleverness i basically am going to echo exactly what you said <laughs> I, it's welcome to the game are there some interesting choices to be made right up front bam this game's in your face here's what you have to decide you know start looking at this start looking at that what are the choices that you're going to have to make right off the bat? That's what gets me excited about this introduction phase to a board game. Yeah, pretty much the same for me. Really, I was looking at games that either had a big revelation at the beginning right after setup. Maybe it's a variable setup. And when you see that, you get to you realize what strategies you might start to go down. Or it's choices at the beginning of the game. Maybe it's during setup. Maybe it's right right after setup, or maybe it's even in the first round of the game where there's some exciting choices, some exciting things are going to be revealed that will help you, you know, kind of dictate what is your strategy? What are your opponents going to be looking at? You know, really set the set the preface for what direction this game is going to go. Chris, let's just jump in with your number five best intro in a board game. And let me start by saying that this is not strictly a number five to number one scenario, all of these kind of mesh together. There's, they're all kind of of a, of a similar level. They're all great examples. I did kind of, you know, try to skew the more exciting ones toward the end of the list. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. My first game that I want to talk about, my number five is Cthulhu Death May Die, designed by Rob Davio and Eric Lang and published by Simon Games. This one is almost a no-brainer for me because it starts out with such interesting character development right from the very beginning of the game. You start out, you have a number of characters to choose from. If you got all the expansion content, you've got something like 50 different playable characters that you can choose, and every single one has a backstory. There's this idea of you know, going out in the Roaring Twenties and fighting, uh, fighting the Great Old Ones, and each one of these characters has a reason for doing that. How they got pulled into the life of being a paranormal investigator and fighting the, the evil forces of the Great Old Ones, and they all had their own skill sets that they bring to this. And so each of these characters has these crazy skill sets and this interesting backstory, but in particular, there are two bits that are, that are really exciting about how Cthulhu Death May Die lends the setup for the character development. One is that each character has these skills that are increased 
by insanity. So the more insane you get, the stronger these powers get. So for example, one of them is called Berserker on one of the characters. And basically what happens is the crazier he gets, he starts doing damage to like everything around him because he's going nuts, but he also may end up taking damage because you know he's throwing himself into combat. And that makes for a really interesting story piece. The other thing is that each one comes with a straight up psychosis. It comes into play at certain parts of the game where something will trigger that psychosis and then there's some interesting piece whether it's codependence or ptsd or you know whatever the psychosis happens to be something cool happens and so there's this really neat story element of having interesting characters that kind of leads off right at the beginning of the game and i mean what's better for a great story than a great set of characters to to kick it off with. Yeah, that's a fun pick, Chris. Like you said, the character development there is great. You're getting introduced to all these different wacky characters with all their different... <laughs> the codependency one is funny. There's that one character that wants to attach, I think, herself to another mm-hmm. character and kind of follow around the map. Yeah, now that you got the, got me thinking about that, it makes me want to play it again right now. <laughs> yeah, well, the other great thing about the, the intro on that game is that it also, you know, you reveal what scenario you're going to do. So there's like a little bit of a a little bit of backstory in the scenario. You find out what your objectives are. You're going to find out what monsters, what kind of cultists are going to be in that story. So I think that's a great choice, Chris, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that's revealed and a couple little choices, depending on how you pick your characters that the players get to make. Chris, I have to tell the story about the second time I played this. First time, just me and Chris played it. It's fine. You know, we were exploring it. Second time, he had taught it to his wife and his wife, Rachel, comes over and she sets it up and we're about to sit down and play and I'm ready to go. And she's like, no, what is your character? And and I was like, I told her the name. She's like, no, you got to flip it over and read the whole backstory on the back. <laughs> wow. So that was the most exposed I got to the the intro on that on that game in the past. Nice. There's a game you're going to pick, Tim, with incredible backstory on the back of the uh, the player board. I'm excited to hear about that because I don't know much about it yet. Let's start off my list. Similar to Chris's, there's no particular order here. It's just games that I enjoy their introduction. They're all vastly different. And there's a lot of games that do similar things to each one of these games that I'm going to mention. I'm going to start off here with a game that I love and you guys poop all over. I don't know why. It's Innis or Inish. I still don't know how to say it. But this game is fantastic. If there's three players, you draw three of these crazy, scraggly territory tiles and you put them out there and you set them up, somehow they fit together, even though they're all irregular and whatever. That's not even a real nameable shape, but you plop them together. You got your shapes out there. And then each player does this. It's something like maybe Risk. I don't want to say Risk because Risk is lame. But there's a few games that do this where you're putting your little, your members, your, <laughs> that sounds bad. You're putting your little, uh, <laughs> why are you laughing, Chris? <laughs> members of your clan. Does that sound better? You're putting your troops out there <laughs> on the map and everybody puts two little characters out there on these irregular, but beautiful looking territories, right? So that there's some thought in that already. Oh, Tim's putting his guy here, but there's already been a capital set up here. Do I want to try to be the chieftain here and put all my guys in that little territory? Hmm, what am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to work this out? So there's already some thought going in there and you know who the, the chieftain's going to be, you know, which way turnover is going to, because you already flipped this, like this coin. I wish it was a real coin, but it's just a, a, uh, chit, a giant circular chit. 
And then this is going a little bit more into the flow of the game, but you have this amazing draft of these green cards. Welcome to these next uh, 16 cards. One of them gets tossed or something like that. I'm talking about three players again. You get to take a look at these. You get very familiar with these cards over the course of the game. But if it's your first time playing, you're going to be like, what? I don't even understand in what situation this card would work for me. You're looking at these cards. Okay, I guess I'll take this one and I'll pass these three over here. And these cards come back and back around. And you're just kind of like, hmm, well, this one sounds good. I guess I'll take that. But that is the intro to a very amazing story that's going to explode in subsequent rounds. It's going to have all these emergent properties that come from that intro piece that I absolutely love. That is Innis or Innish. A fantastic game. It's been such a long time since I played this now. I don't recall the intro being exciting, but it's been a while. Maybe we got to get this one played again. You guys are I'll mega s- you guys are mega poops for not liking this one. It's in the top oh, 100. On. Yeah, mega oh, poops. Hold it's no on. <laughs> Okay, Chris, go ahead. Hold. I I don't think it's fair to say that we pooped all over it. I I think I've said that it's not, you know, it's not my it's not my number one game for sure. I'm willing to give it a try again because it has been a long time. And as I recall, it's, and it has been a long yeah. time. So like Tim, I don't remember all the details of the setup. But one thing I will say about the game is that I don't recall story being one of its weaknesses. I think story was actually a good, it's a good call because of that. Well, thank you. You know, this is this, maybe this is a good BGHT con uh, candidate. Let's bring it back to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, what a fun game to be just around the table, trash talking each other. And like, you think about angry Steve's going to get when Chris comes in and takes takes away one of his things right before he gets a victory point. You make a great point here because this is one that doesn't have a score track. It's one that has the win condition is six territories, chieftain of six other like tribes members or six sanctuaries. So there's no first, second, third place necessarily. It's one that didn't work for our traditional methods of scoring but would be perfect for like, who cares about keeping score, you know, towards a trophy. It sounds like Lords of Ragnarok. Ooh, no, nope. It's, nope, not that. <laughs> Almost exactly the same game. Wrong. Adam, did you ever pick up the expansion for this? I do. I have the expansion. If nice. I adjusted my camera, it's up on top there. Yeah, it's got harbors and uh, the We Need a King to prevent it going long, which I've never had that problem anyway. I haven't dug into it much. I've investigated it slightly. It seems cool. There's some, you know, it's modular. I think there's three parts that are modular. I like the idea of the module that that like forces an ending at some point because that that I like it. I've only played it a couple of times and I don't remember it happening, but I always remember it feeling like it could could happen. You know, like if people were just thinking through it enough, you could basically stop anyone from winning if everyone was kind of working together on it. So I like the idea of that, at least having a clock. Yeah. And do you keep saying we need a king? We need a king. We need a king. Oh, we need a king. Oh, (laughs) that's what it's called. There's what did you say, Chris? I thought that's what what are you saying? We need a king. Like the king, his name is weenie. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have no idea what that was. Great start. start. Wow. Well, and by the way, before I mention my first pick, I did I did want to say that the one thing we did try to plan was that we were going to try to not talk about the same games in every episode of this series. In other words, like if I found if I've got a game that's got a great intro, I don't want it to also be the game that I mentioned that's got the great climax and the great conclusion. But it's possible there will be a little overlap there. So we are going to be trying to talk about a variety of games, not just focus on our top five games 
of all time. I think what we should try to do this is something I'm going to try to do with the rest of my picks throughout this series is find a game that excels maybe in one of these areas yeah. and is maybe is in weak in the other areas. Mm. So one game that does this particular portion really well, but maybe it doesn't do the rest that great. Mm. Well, that's that's interesting, Adam. I, th- I wish you'd brought that up before I made my list because I don't think any of my games <laughs> qualify on, yeah. on that category, but I will think about that in the future. It's a, it's a cool idea. It's a challenge, right? Besides, yeah. we might be getting, by the end of the series, we might be getting a little light on a lot of the best <laughs> games out there. So we might yeah. be picking things that only do one thing well. Let's go deep. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, my number one, or let's say my number five on this list is a game that I think actually tells a pretty good story over the course of the game. It tells a story about farming in the medieval in medieval times and this is can you wake me up in about <laughs> 10 minutes when you're done <laughs> i know where this is going this is agricola there it is but the reason i think this game is a great candidate for strong introduction is that when you're playing with advanced rules but you know even if you're not there's still some information revealed at the course at the start of the game but basically after setup you're going to draft seven minor and uh, seven minor improvements and seven occupations that only you can play. And these are little upgrades, they're little engine building components, and you're never going to get them all played over the course of the game, but you're getting the opportunity to kind of decide what direction might my farm go in. You know, you don't always get to put all those combos together, but I think it just makes a fun, exciting moment. The moment that the game's set up and we're ready to start, haven't even placed my first worker yet, I get some exciting things to do. I get to explore the potential strategies that could come out of this game if things go my way. And I think that's great. I think a game that gives you some some choices right at the beginning before you even really start the game, before you start taking your first move is fun. And Agricola does that well. I would not have thought of that one, Tim, but I heartily agree with it. Those occupation cards and those special tiles you get at the beginning, I think are are really interesting and really do kind of start telling a cool story. Yeah, as much as I want to pretend to be snoozy about this one, it is cool. <laughs> <laughs> All these different choices you have right off the bat, are you going to be able to get these going or are you just going to like kind of let them go by the wayside? It's has some great choices right off the bat. Yeah, my only complaint with this, if, if you play this async on like Board Game Arena, so you've got four people playing at async, you'll, yeah. you'll draft one set of cards like every f- five hours or once a day or something <laughs> like that. So it takes forever to actually get right. the game started there. Mm-hmm. But in person, it's awesome. It's like, you know, super quick little draft that makes, has huge impact over the rest of the game. And I love that. Well, since we're talking about resource management euro style games i'm going to keep that vibe going and love it (laughs) my number four game is distilled designed by dave beck and published by paverson games distilled gives much more of a nod to storytelling than the average euro game does and i really appreciate that we've been talking about this quite a bit recently in the context of of several different games and this is one that stands out to me So not only does it start with this interesting premise that each player is the heir to an old dilapidated distillery that was owned in the family for generations and now has inherited it, but they actually give each of the players a personality and a backstory, kind of the same as in Cthulhu Death May Die. You may be the the jazz trumpeter from New Orleans who inherits the distillery and goes off to make brandy or, you know, the the nun who inherits uh, a gin distillery. And yeah, I know there's actually a nun in there. Hold, hold on. Wait, are these real like characters in the game? Yeah. Yeah. These are actual characters. I didn't know. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, you, get, I didn't get any of that flavor from the time that we played. Man, I'm missing out on a whole 
intro level of this game that sounds amazing. Yeah, we probably skipped over that a little bit because we were, you know, trying to get a bunch of games in. But yeah, and each of these characters not only has this little bit of a backstory, but they also have one of the most fun parts of the game. They have a signature recipe. It's kind of their own personal family recipe that they bring. And it's in some way themed to the character. So, you know, like the the what the nun who makes the gin is a special London dry gin or something like that. And the the guy from New Orleans makes uh, apple pie uh, moonshine or something like that. So it's, it's, they're really neat. And they're one of the best point getters in the game are these special recipes. And they're also interesting. And you have to get these special ingredients for them. And it just kind of sets the stage for this story of this game, which for the rest of it, it's managing resources and it's building things out in a way that is you know, standard among so many Euro games. But just adding that little intro piece with the character and the special recipe just sets it off so nicely because you do feel like you're stepping into a movie. It may not be a, an epic action movie like Cthulhu Death May Die, but you sure are stepping into a story. Chris, you made me realize a weakness in my my board gaming style, I need to take the time to learn more about the backstory of these different characters, these different people that you take the role of as you're playing this game. That is super interesting. Now that you mentioned, I remember my guy, I think he was like a Portuguese guy that was trying to make some sherry or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had no clue. I need to take the time to like listen to what you guys are all playing and trying to do and to soak in the, the character element of these games a little bit more. Yeah, a couple other things that in, that introduces you to the story when you sit down and play Distilled is that there's like a different recipe set you mm-hmm. can play with. Mm-hmm. And we found on our last play that it drastically changed the game. So that really, like I sat down and looked at that recipe set and said, okay, I think I know which direction I got to head this time. And combined with this, although it's not really right at the setup, but right after one of the first things I always try to do in that game is pick up one of the distillery upgrades, Mm -hmm. uh, at least, you know, in the first round, which are they're expensive, they may be hard to get. But that's kind of be the first thing that kind of drives your strategy a little bit. Is it a thing that makes your bottles cheaper? Is it a thing that makes it, um, you know, like, give you extra money every time you uh, every time you, um, you know, put something in a barrel, like, does it add an extra flavor every time you age something? So I like just that first round where you're deciding, okay, what's the direction I'm going to go? I'm going to combine that with my character's special power. I'm going to try to combine it with the the country that I'm, you know, trying to build up around. And uh, it really is fun to just get that started and, and see how things are going to kick off. Yeah, those are great call outs, Tim. All right. My next game is Battle for Rokugan, and this is one that I hadn't played until a few weeks ago, a month ago, when we all met up up in Portland, which was fantastic. So we got this one at the table, and I thought the intro was fantastic. If you guys remember, first of all, that beautiful map is sitting there on the table. You're like, wow, look at these colors. That's neat. Let's play this game. And then you have these different territory cards for, I think it's six or seven different territories. I think there's three or four cards or each of the different territories. So those are secret and underneath. So the intrigue there, you're like already thinking, oh, what are these What are these little territory bonuses going to be? It could be this or this or this. Who knows? And then you, you're picking a clan. How do you want to do that? There's a lot of games that can do this. You just do it randomly or are you going to like, you know, how are you going to pick which asymmetric character you are? That's a whole different discussion that, Tim is going to talk about in a game that I wanted to steal from him. We'll go back to that. That's a little foreshadowing there. But then you deal out these secret objective cards and you check these out. Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to do this. 
during the game? How am I going to accomplish that? Okay, well, shoot. Okay. And then these, I think it's six little tiny chits. There's like a billion of these things. You're putting them behind your screen and you're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, how am I going to use these? Put those on the map and mess with everybody to accomplish these goals. Also, there's the first player setup in this game, which I think is one of the coolest first player setups that there are. So everybody has a card that they're throwing into this pile. And then there's a couple random cards that might say whoever has the most control the territories is now first because first player is a big deal in this game. You do not want to be first player in this game. You want to be last so you can have the final say and make the final choice of going into this thing. And then you're doing again, like a risk style, you're placing your starting control tokens, all of the control. So it's like three or four control tokens. You're kind of setting up the board for the rest of the game. And again, a lot of games do this, especially troops on a map games do this, where you're sort of picking territories that you want to have control of first to start off the game. And then the game kicks off. So that's kind of the setup. You've got this these intrigue with the territories are going to try to get control of those right away. You have these secret objectives that are going to try to accomplish a lot going on, a lot of fun decisions in this quick light rule set game battle for Roku gone. I'm so glad we got to play this one. I can't wait to play it again. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's exciting. Can't wait for that, for that first setup, for that intro to see how the game's going to play yeah. out. I still love my favorite story, which I don't think we told on the show about the battle for Roku gone was, you know, like you're placing those initial markers to show kind of the territories you're going to go for. And there's this island off to the side that just has four little locations in it. And Steve places a ter- <laughs> like a marker over there and then Chris places one. And, you know, we're me and Adam are just assuming that they're, they both have some objective that needs to go for it. And the whole rest of the game, the two of them just duked it out. Everything, all their power was going into the, that little island over there. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that I think Chris didn't even have any reason to be there at all. And Steve had like one objective (laughs) that had something to do with it. And it just like destroyed each other the whole game. Uh, So yeah, even, even with some direction at startup, sometimes you don't make good decisions in games like this. (laughs) I'm not sure how that always happened to Steve and I always end up doing that. I swear I'm not like trying to do that. It just, it it seems like we always find ourselves in that situation and I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, my, number four game that I'm going to talk about. And kind of like Chris, these are not necessarily in my top five list necessarily. I think any one of these could be in any order here, but I'll try to vary a little bit how, you know, how they go. My number four here is Res Arcana. This is a small box, a little resource management game. It's a Euro style game. You're, you're dealing with resources, but the setup here is so important because the whole game is based on playing cards out of your deck and your entire deck is going to be eight cards. That's all you've got. And you're going to draft those cards at the start of the game. So everything that you can build on your side of the table, you're going to draft in that starting uh, in that starting hand. But beyond drafting that, before you start the draft, you're going to look, you're going to be given two, I think they're wizards, but two characters basically that you can choose from and they each have unique powers. And so you want to draft your cards in order to work with them. But beyond that, you also have these places of power, which are these these really high point and valuable things in the middle of the board that everyone's going to be racing towards. So you want to try to see, how can I build a deck that's going to help me get to that place of, a place of power first? Um, so to me, I think this setup, the introduction on this game creates so much fun. It's so exciting to just get that started, see what you put together. And then after you've done all that, you reveal the first three cards of your deck. That's your starting hand. Go start your first round. So super fun intro on Res Arcana for me. Adam, have you played this one before? 
I have. It's one I need to go back to. I I don't get it. I don't get this game. It's I'm missing something. So I want to go back to it. I want to sit down and play it with Tim or Chris. I want to have Tim explain to me like where's the joy because I know there's got to be joy in there. A lot of people love this game, tons and tons and tons. <laughs> um, last time I was at Tim's place, I think when I made it out there randomly, we got it out and played it, and it was a head scratcher for me. I was like, I, these little turns don't make sense. You got to show me, Tim, point it out like, hey, this is what's awesome, Adam. This is what you're missing because I know there's got to be something there that I'm not seeing, so I want to go back to it. Well, I've particularly been enjoying this game lately of uh, – a listener of ours, uh, Mark, who is also happens to be a local guy and he's, I've been gaming with him recently. Um, he invited me and one of his friends that I think is lives in Seattle or something like that. But uh, the three of us have been playing this a little bit and I've been having a blast playing this three player and they're both very good at it. And it's very competitive games where you're getting down to that last yeah. turn where, you know, everybody could push over that turn and, you know, maybe it even comes down to who grabbed the first player token and passed first. So exciting game, but I just love the setup on it. I think that's my favorite part about it. There are so many games that get so much better when everyone is at that same yeah, competitive yeah. level. That's a neat thing. Chris, have you still not played Rose Arcana? You and I played it once, Tim, and I kind okay. of felt the same way about it that Adam did. Although I do recall it being really kind of thematically interesting. So, I mean, I would certainly be willing to go back and give it another shot. I just played the one game. Maybe I'll hit you up uh, for a, a async game on on board game arena because I think if you just yeah. and the rules don't take that long, it's a pretty simple you know pretty simple rules to learn. If you mm-hmm. go back and just learn it and, and get in with it, maybe try a game or two with me. I like the variety and I like how every game plays out a little bit different. I agree, Adam. The turns can be small, especially in person. The game tends to feel a little bit like well, I'm doing a whole lot of not interesting things many turns. I still have fun with it. I like the setup. I like the excitement of what are you starting with? What are you going to get done every turn? Just to reiterate, I feel like this is a game I know there's something there that I'm missing and I need to go back to it and figure out what it is that I'm missing. Yeah, maybe a, maybe even a three-player game would yeah. be fun with you guys. We'll, we'll have to give it a shot. Well, changing tax uh, significantly here, I'm going to switch over to an epic Awaken Realms adventure game for my number three, and that is Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, designed by Christoph Biskorski and Marcin Svirkot, and again, published by Awaken Realms. And this one, no subtlety here. This is just pure bludgeoning you to death storytelling, but in a way that I think is so satisfying. There, the, the setup is pretty much the same for all characters. There's, um, you know, there's not that much of a difference. And even the individual abilities of the, the characters, they do have some difference, but they're not epic differences like there are in a lot of games. But what this game does have is storytelling like you would not believe. Each character actually gets in the box because this is, of course, an Awakened Realms production, which is always impressive. Like these handwritten letters from some person within the village telling them why they need to go out and start this quest. The idea here is that these, you know, the great masters of the various, you know, the arcane arts and fighting and, and sorcery and all these things went off from this village into, you know, to seek out Avalon because there is darkness and evil taking over the countryside. And the people who are left are like the sad little scrubs who weren't actually good enough to join the, the main party. Yes. And so there's these letters like, I started by playing the, he's like the village blacksmith and it's the master smith left him a letter saying, you know, all is lost and I won't, I won't say much about it because anybody who's playing the game will want to experience that for themselves. But 
you start the game with this personal letter written to your character about why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, that is storytelling at its best in a board game. It doesn't hurt that this is also a game that's designed to be very story oriented. It's best. I mean, it is a co-op game. I think best is a solo game. Uh, But I think them taking the time and effort to really add that element of story for a game that's intended to be a story just really put this one over the top for me and makes it a real joy. Chris, I'm glad you had this one on your list when you, we were talking about this one in the green room. I saw it and I was like, what is he going to That's right. I remember playing the video game implementation of this and it's pretty nice. And the same thing, you're kind of the, the guys that are left, you're the leftover scrubs. Like you said, you're not the premier cream of the crop guys. You're like the ones that are left. Like, dude, you, you better go save the city because all the good guys are left are dead. <laughs> so help us out. I thought that is such a fun premise for a game. Like I was mentioning, the video game implementation of this is pretty nice too. It's basically the board game and you just have these uh, that deck of cards that you go and fight these monsters and collect stuff. So that's cool. Have you been playing this one much, Chris, or you just got through the intro? How much have you been playing? How much does this get into the table? It's been a while since I pulled it out. The problem is, is a lot of setup and it takes up a lot yeah. of space. And so I get it. Basically, I get it out when my wife goes out of town. And so I'm actually probably going to take it out this weekend because she's out of town right now. So it's a great time to play Tainted Grail. First of all, Chris, that actually sounds really cool. That's a great way to introduce the game and kind of set the premise for how it's going. Uh, I love that. And my only memory of this was the day that Chris and that Adam handed it off to Chris. It was our first BGHT con. We're in Palm Springs and Adam brings this big cardboard box into the house and Chris opens it up, opens the first box and takes out a mini. And that mini was his mascot the whole rest of the weekend. He had it at the table for every <laughs> game. Right. I don't remember what mini it was, but some little barbarian holding a sword or something like that. Um, so yeah, I have no, I have zero, zero interest in playing this game ever, but, oh. uh, he said the same thing about Frosthaven a few months ago, right? <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I spoke in that strong of, of language. Okay. From minis to flat, colorful squares. I don't a, understand this pick, Adam. I don't understand it. I need, I need help here. I, I will help. explain this one to you thoroughly. <laughs> it is probably my favorite pick. I'm throwing it in the middle, right? This is where stuff gets lost. This is the absolute best pick of everybody's game the best <laughs> intro i'm talking about azul all right you, so what's adam talking about you know that there's 20 of each color of five different color of tiles in the bag they get i'm talking about the two-player game i don't care about three or four players that doesn't even that doesn't matter this game is a two-player game like through and through with two players, there's five, they call them factories. There's five circles where you're putting four tiles each of five different colors on these tiles. And it's all about probability and distribution. Is there any of these factories that have three of one color? Is there any that have two of one color? Is there any that have two that you can make your your third row? You can complete that up. All these decisions that crop up the opening. So this is a game with an opening. There's different openings. If there's three tiles on one space, if there's two, if there's four tiles on one space, holy cow, that's a no brainer. You take that right away and you get to be first player again in the second round. It's amazing. The other guy's totally hosed. There's no chance. These tiles come out. You have to think, am I going to be able to complete my bottom rows? What's the best? Maybe there's only two reds. You know that there's 18 reds left in the bag for the rest of the game. 
There's so much going on here with such a simple mechanism of pulling out four tiles for each of five factories in this game, Azul. What a fantastic, beautiful, elegant, simple game. I absolutely love it. Tim, are you convinced? Well, no, not at all. But I, I can kind of see it. Well, listen, I can kind of see. First of all, I probably played this game a hundred times and have never once counted how many tiles of that color were in the bag. I don't think I knew there was 20 of each type. Probably why I lose this game all the time. Um, but Adam, do you think that the that the excitement of that intro, is that really just the first round or is it the same on each round, like on each subsequent round? Or do you think that first round is the most impactful? The openers, you, you can... Um you can definitely mess up. You can definitely lose the game in the opening round if you don't do it right. So you have to be on your toes that opening round. There might be a distribution where eh, it kind of doesn't matter. But in most cases, I'd say like 80%, 90% of games, you have to do it right or you're going to lose the game in that opening round. So that's why I think it's so important in Azul. Chris, what do you think? So Adam, I'm not sure I buy the storytelling magic of Azul, but honestly, I don't care. I love this game. I love playing this game. I love talking about this game. And this is the one I was thinking about when I said that you were going to come up with something very clever and outside the box. I was thinking about this game. So bam, there you go. Well, just to keep going on it a little bit more. So I spend probably the most time out of any round thinking if I'm first player, especially thinking about how you have to tell a story to yourself about how you're going to put these tiles on your player board. I can grab these tiles from here. I can put those in my second row. Oh, I can grab these blues right in the middle of the board. Now I have control of the center of the board and my opponent is going to be on his heels the rest of the game trying to counter what I'm doing. It's just a fantastic game. This It's amazing in its simplicity and it's totally abstract and it doesn't tell a classical story like a Thulu Death May Die or any of these narrative games. It's a different kind of story, but I think just as valid. And that's why I love the intro here as well. Well, I'm going to go completely opposite of a abstract, small box, little tiling game. I'm going to talk about a new game, a game that I just got, uh, spent a lot of time learning and got a chance to play just one solo game so far. And it was a tutorial uh, game of it. And I can't get the game out of my head. This is Voidfall. This is by Mind Clash Games. I just got mine delivered uh, last Friday and spent most of last weekend punching it out, putting, assembling it, setting it up, learning it. I love the game from the moment that you finish the setup. That intro is so great. A couple things that really get revealed at the setup. First of all, there's like 50 scenarios in this scenario book. And the scenarios all have different map layouts. And they've got, they, they tell you how complex the, the game is going to be, how complex that setup is going to be, but also how combative it's going to be. But once you set up the map, there are all these things that are distributed around the map right at the start. You know, how far avoid fall from your base? How, how close, you know, how quickly are you going to have to worry about protecting yourself? How close are the players to each other? The most lucrative tiles that go after. In some cases, there's special tiles that you want to race to there are these i forget they're called like lost houses or something like that but these these civilizations that have have you know already been killed by the by the voidborn and you can go in there and, and take over their technology so just the board setup is going to be different and it's going to reveal a new story each time you sit down to play this but then you get to pick your faction and the fa- there is 14 different factions in this game and there are four kind of what they call the re- the recommended starter factions and those all have the same three 
tracks that you can move up. They're kind of these little um, tracks that give you different bonuses that you bump up them. But the rest of the civilizations all have drastically different tracks. So however you pick your civilization, whether it's a draft, whether it's random, whether it's you get two and pick one, you're going to get some exciting decisions to make. Not only which faction you get to take, but also each faction comes with one of two agendas. Uh, the agendas are basically how you know what are your directives? What are your objectives? What are you going to be trying to score over the course of the game? You pick one of those and that can be drastically impactful on the direction your game is going to go and then you also get to start with one of the the each faction has two technology cards that are unique to them and you get to pick one of those two technologies to start it's going to give you some bump on you know it's going to make you you know give you better shields when you go into a combat it's going to give you better weapons it's going to make your uh you know allow you to get rid of this this uh you know this void corruption a little bit easier so big decisions there and then the back of each of these beautiful player mats has a ton of information about the civilization it tells a story about it and so that's the setup like that when i'm thinking about the intro in a game this game just there's so much to just think about and explore right in that intro um we were talking a little bit about storytelling in a game and i gotta tell you i've never seen a game do so well what this game does in giving you story in the rule book so the rule book basically has about six pages of beautiful illustrated. It's not like a graphic novel, but there's illustrations, Eno tools, wonderful artwork that's kind of put in on some of these pages. And it tells a story. And the story tells this about this grim future where the void born, uh, you know, I won't go into the whole story, but basically this alien force has kind of put in the mind of the civilization some advanced technology because they want this tech this the civilization to grow to stretch out so that then they can later come in and take it all over but it tells this story over like six pages and as it's telling you the story it's introducing you to the elements of the game like what does combat mean to you what is what do the agendas mean to you what is the you know what does the technology mean and it really ties the story into it and i've never seen a rule book introduce the story into the mechanisms as well as this game did so learning the game was wonderful and i would even advise that if you're going to teach this game to somebody and if they're game for it like send them those few pages and let them read that just so that they get that backstory because otherwise you're going to introduce them to it tell them some you know little tiny part of it and they're just going to miss out on all the flavor there but in any case the intro to this game every game is going to be an exciting couple choices some exciting reveals and uh, I can't wait to go back to it. I'm I'm trying to set up a game with my local game. I was literally texting a couple friends trying to schedule a game night of this while we're talking here today because I want to get this played again really bad. That sounds so good. I cannot wait to play this one. And actually, as of this Friday, all three of us will officially have our copies of this game because I just got my delivery notice. I know you guys got yours already. I'm ready to get mine. It just, it sounds brilliant. This is one, Chris, when you said... Uh, you kind of pointed out how we all spent out of the better side of 150 bucks paying for this game. And now we all have our own copy. I am so glad I have my own copy of this. I punched in, I've spent the better part of an hour each day of the last week trying to organize and set this thing up and get it all punched. And it is absolutely beautiful. The rule book is something special. Like you were saying, Tim, the art is something special. It looks even that prototype that we played way back, I don't know, we were talking about two years ago now or something like that. That was a fantastic play. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can't wait to dig into this one deeper. It's been sitting here on my table. I'm ready to just go full in on this one and get consumed by it. 
Yeah, it was funny. I got the box and I, you know, I spent a while punching it. And then I started to just read the rules on the setup just to kind of get prepped to learn it. And it's like 12 pages of rules for setup. And it was taking so long to get through all this stuff. Now, I think, I, you know, we'll, we'll review this at some point and I'll talk in a lot more about that. But I was really starting to think like, this game is beautiful, but I don't, I probably shouldn't have gotten this. I don't even remember what was fun about it. But then I played this game, this solo game. I played it two-handed just to try two different, you know, characters in an intro scenario. And it is fun decisions. It, so it is It is really, truly a special game, I think, and a game that I am going to be so excited to play anytime we can. And a game I can't wait to play with you guys again the next time we all get together in person. Now, this is one I alluded to earlier on. The back of the player boards has all this information on it. What's on there? Uh, you know, I didn't even look closely at it, Adam. Oh. And you reminded me of it as you were talking about it. But I did. I had, I had looked at it when I was first taking out the components and kind of looking at them. And I, rem- I was like, oh, I got to go back and check those out. Mm. And then I did the setup and I completely forgot about it. Yeah. But I, if I remember right, I, I looked at it briefly, but it really kind of tells the story of that specific civilization. So it's going to give you flavor mainly. And then it tells you a little bit about best strategy to try to use with them, like how to, okay. how to use them the best. So, but the story mm-hmm. is what I think is a really cool, you know, if you want flavor in your game, that's a great way to get it. I kind of love it when a game does that. It gives you a little bit of like, hey, this faction does a little better when you try to do this thing or this thing. I think that's that's pretty nice. I love having that option to read about the the character that you're playing yeah. if a game includes that. Well, hippity yeah. hopping on to number two on my list. It is Obsession, designed by Dan Halligan and published by Kayenta Games. I have talked about this game before. We did a review episode for anybody who's interested to go back and listen to it. And I'll make the same comment that I've made multiple times about this game, which is it is amazing how much story they pack in to this game, which is a bunch of cards and cardboard tiles. So the premise of Obsession is that you're in this small village in England and you're a bunch of noble families and Every one of the noble families has fallen on some hard times and things just ain't good the way they used to be, sort of like Downton Abbey. I mean, this is basically Downton Abbey, the board game. And then the fancy new Fairchild moved to town and they've got two kids, a a young woman and a young man, and everybody wants to court the Fairchilds. How are you going to do it? You're going to do it by throwing the best parties, by having the best estate, by inviting the right guests. And... At the setup of this game, you start by picking which family you're going to be. And in brilliant fashion, each of these families has some little benefit, which is pretty standard stuff in board game in board game standards because they 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 provide some little benefit for that family but the way that it is built into the story is absolutely delightful so one family they're the rich family they start with a little bit of money which the other families don't have one family has the finest service in the county and so they have an extra footman another family uh, has uh, the the Dowager Countess lives with the family, and so you have an extra family member card, and family member cards are easier to play. So you start out with this little bit of story right off the bat, and you know a little bit about the family, and then the whole rest of the game. I mean, this game could easily fit into every category for me in terms of the it, it does everything well in terms of story, I believe. But the setup, I think, is particularly exciting and really impactful because it drives your strategy in a lot of ways. So 
you can pick the family that has the the great service and and focus less on getting more servants and focus on the kinds of things that you can do with that extra footman or you can focus on buying a, a fancy estate accoutrements if you have the family that has money the story that goes with this and each card has its own little flavor text about the person who is on the card so you don't just get this person gives you money and prestige but this is Lord Rumblebuffin, who is a, a cad known throughout the, the county who will seduce the ladies. And so you lose reputation by inviting him over, but you might get money, whatever, you know, there's so all, all kinds of neat stuff happening here in this game story wise. And a lot of it takes place right at the outset when you pick your family and you figure out who you're going to be. Chris, you've said some words I don't even understand. Dowager, footman, countess. <laughs> I think I know what a countess is. A, a coochie. Accoutrements? Accoutrement. 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 Did you say lawn tennis? I don't There's <laughs> all these words in this game. I don't even understand what they mean. So somehow it started to come together for me a little bit on the last time we played this on Board Game Arena. Uh, I see the appeal of this game now. It's starting to come to me. I think that's a fun choice obsession here. Uh, I want to play this once more. I think you'll just have to sit down and play a couple games of it with your valet, maybe, <laughs> and uh, you know, prep for the next session. Sounds good. Yeah, the, the, well, a couple things. One is that there's also more intro in the story, and that you get some like objective cards you're trying to work for. I don't think you mentioned that, Chris. So you kind of, you know, it kind of gives you right at the start some some goals, some things you're going to be looking for, whether it's specific types of rooms. And when you have that goal card, and that one of those rooms you need is sitting right out there in the market, ready to buy right away. You've got the the story of like what am I going to be doing this game? This is a really good pick, Chris. And, uh, I, you know, interestingly, this game has been growing on me as well. You know, when we originally reviewed it, I felt a little mad about it. And I felt that way over several more plays. But the more I get invited to it and the more I get into it, I don't know why my feelings have changed, but I'm starting to really dig it. I'm really starting to get excited when it's my turn to play. And this was the, probably my biggest sadness that we didn't get played in our last con because hmm. Chris brought this and I it was on the table and I was so close to picking it a couple times. Just a couple other games I really wanted to get played, but I wish we'd gotten this played in person. I hope Hopefully we do get to do it again at some point. But yeah, um, um, Obsession has uh, won me over and um, not quite obsessed yet, but um, maybe I'm <laughs> All right, next up for me, this is a, a little bit of a wild card game. I didn't send it in. I didn't talk about it in the uh, when I was hanging out in the green room with you guys. This is the trick-taking game, Spades. I'm waiting for you. There you go. Okay, what? Chris. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, there goes Chris. We'll goes, be talking about the same topic here. <laughs> but it could be any of these trick-taking games where you kind of make a bid ahead of time. So Cat in the Box is one like this. Euchre is another one like this somewhat, but spades is the best because the way you're supposed to do it is you deal out the cards. Everyone's like taking a look at their hand of 13 cards and you can play with the jokers if you want to. You don't have to play with the jokers, but you can play with the jokers. You look in your hand of everyone's organizing their suits and this and that. And then you go around. So next to the dealer, you know, says, oh, I can take, um, I can take four tricks and then three tricks here, two tricks and then maybe the last pick is, so your teams, right? With the person across from you, maybe the last pick is, I don't know, something ridiculous, five tricks or something like that. And then you do the math on that. You're like, wait a minute, that's more than 13. Someone is going to bust right away. So you have that excitement of this 
opening bid, I think is just fantastic. That's not always going to happen. But when that does happen, this sort of decision-making process, this strategizing out, looking across at your partner. And I think spades, you get to trade, is it three cards? I don't know. There's all these variants. There's like a billion variants across the globe. Everyone has their own way to play it. But I think you get to trade three cards across the table with your partner. And that is also a fantastic thing. You get to the three cards and oh man, they gave me a, a heart and a club and another heart. So shoot, maybe they're trying to get rid of all their hearts. That means if I play a couple of hearts, they'll be able to throw down Trump this whole game and take all these tricks. Now I have to balance that out with my bid that I just made or I, maybe the bids after that. I can't, but anyway, the intro where you're organizing your cards, trading across with your partner making these bids is someone going to bust right away is someone going to go nil that means they don't take any cards you get all these points if you don't take any cards at all so much going on here in spades it's such a great game that i've had so much fun with over the last i, don't know, I haven't played in a long time but I, back when i was in the military we play this all the time while we were deployed i know chris did not have a good time playing this game but i have such great memories surrounding this game and a lot of it is because of that opening bid and auction and decision-making process. What a great intro to a fantastic trick-taking game with just a standard deck of cards, spades. Okay, you never sold me on Azul, but you did actually just sell me on spades. Now, I've never played spades, so I can only kind of picture how the rules go. But I was thinking about hearts as you were talking about this. And when you sit down with that 13 cards dealt out to you in hearts, and when you play the advanced variant of hearts, after you look at that hand, you pass three cards to the person to your left. And it's such an exciting intro because do you have the queen of spades in your hand? Yeah. Well, do you want to keep it to make sure that you can be the one that sticks someone with it? Or do you want to pass it so you don't get stuck with it? Yeah. And most exciting, when you can pass away the only three cards you have of a suit to somebody else and have that queen of spades in your yes. hand so that you know the first time that someone plays that suit, you're going to drop that thing. Except the person to your left just passed you the same three car colors that you just just handed up. That is <laughs> such a great when you get that opening hand. It's so exciting to think about how you're going to try to make this, you know, and then the story, of course, evolves and it, it changes and there's a climax, but there is a great intro to hearts. And so I'm assuming that it feels a lot the same in spades. It does. Chris, anything to say? on these fantastic games. Sorry, man. Still not buying it. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get into one of the two games. Okay, so I said that these weren't really in any particular order, but I lied. There actually are two that were at the top of my list that immediately came to mind when we talked about this topic and will always be, I think, the two games that when I sit down at the table, I can't wait for that opening. And the first one that I'll talk about, my number two, is going to be Terraforming Mars. It was the first thing that came to mind when we talked about this and Terraforming Mars has such a great opening, especially if you play with Prelude, because, okay, first you've got the board set up. There are a few different boards, so that could dictate what awards are out there. But then more importantly, you get dealt two corporations. You get dealt four Prelude cards that you're going to pick two from. You're only going to get one of the corporations, and you're going to pick 10 starting project cards. And you get to decide where your game's going to kick off. You know, like, are you going to get some prelude cards that go with your corporation? Are you going to get some projects that are going to really start to ramp you up and, and help you build your civilization or you know build your, your terraforming process? I love the choices in that. Another game I'm just going to slip in here, which reminded me of this a lot, and actually, and I've been playing a lot of, and that's Arc Nova. Arc Nova also gives you like eight cards to start and you pick four of them and you get to pick which of the boards you get, what abilities they are. But I think Terraforming Mars has 
just a little bit stronger opening, more fun and exciting choices to make right there at the beginning. And especially when you're looking at the awards that are out on the table and thinking about how can, how can I like really focus on hitting one of those awards uh, before anyone else can. So I'll use my starting hand to do that. I love the story. I love the opening that that Terraforming Mars gives us and really kicks off the game in a wonderful way. And don't underestimate the power of flavor text, man. With these <laughs> corporations that you get, they really do have some interesting co- corporations in there. Like one of them is like it's the United Nations Terraforming Initiative and they get this special benefit. This other one that I remember always thinking was kind of really amusing was it was like United Cinematics or something like that, where basically it's people that are like movie makers. And so you get this extra bonus when you play a big, exciting event card, like, you know, dropping an asteroid on your opponent's, you know, home base or something like that. I just, I think that's great. They, they add a little bit of story in there in a way that if you didn't have just that little bit of flavor text on the card, you'd lose a lot of the story. And I, I appreciate that they did that. Yeah, this is a great pick, Tim, with the prelude cards and the corporations. You're trying to, every time I play this game, the last, you know, the last few times I played this game, every time I play it, but the last few times I played it, guys, this game with you guys, I've had my corporations and my prelude cards, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to lose with all these cards. These are fantastic the way they combo together, and then I get my butt kicked. But I always <laughs> have that feeling right off the bat, like, these are so great together. How could I possibly lose? It's such a fun choice right off the bat to figure out how all these things are going to work together and how you're going to dominate the rest of the game. All right. That brings us to, drum roll please, number one. And I feel almost like this is a cop out because it's so obvious. So, so very obvious. But I have to (laughs) say it because it needs to be said. And that is Nemesis designed by Adam Kopinski and published by Awaken Realms Games. And I feel like uh, it's nice to be able to say some good things about Awakened Realms after we talked such bad stuff about Lords of Ragnarok, which I think deserve the things that we said. But it's nice to be able to talk about some of the things where the Awakened Realms games really do shine. Storytelling is one of them. And holy cow, there is nothing like the intro to Nemesis. We've talked about this game a ton, but just for those who may not have played this game or listened to any of our other discussions of it, you start the game coming out of hypersleep in your spaceship, very much the same kind of setup as in Alien, where you've got an alien that has come aboard your ship and they're starting to spawn. You're trying to find your way around, figure out how to accomplish your mission, and you're trying to survive. But the thing that makes Nemesis so exciting is that not only do you get a character that has a whole slew of special abilities, and they really are unique individual characters, but you get these cards where you have two alternative missions, two alternative goals. One of them is called a personal goal. Usually that's a pretty cooperative type of goal. You don't really have to go head to head with anybody, but the other one is your corporate goal. And those tend to be ones where you're not really going to get along with your fellow players too well. It's either killing somebody or making sure that somebody doesn't make it back or making sure that the aliens make it back to Earth so they can be studied. But the bottom line is that you don't know what you're going to do necessarily because you don't trigger that until you have the first contact with an alien where you decide which one of those goals you're going to try to do. And you really don't know what your opponents or your, your not necessarily opponents, your cooperative players are trying to do. 
And that creates this heightened, intense sense of paranoia that Tim described very nicely the last time we talked about this. But what it does, I think, is it makes it so you inhabit your character in Nemesis in a way that I've never played in any other game. Like, I really do feel like I am that person. And they have this great flavor text on the gold. It's not just, oh, make sure player one dies. It's It'll be something like, we've gone off on a lot of missions together and I've never forgotten a single slight. There's no way you're getting out of this alive. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, I, I made that one up, but that's the sort of thing they, they put in there. And, oh man, it just, it gives me chills just thinking about how exciting it is launching off on a game of Nemesis. Oof, man, so good. So good. Chris, this is when you mentioned, I was like, oh, Nemesis, that's not even, the, the last play was kind of, repetitive and I made all this noise and aliens popped up and here and here and here. But you're right. That introduction, when you get those objectives that you're trying to do, it's just such a slap in the face. You read these objectives and you're like supposed to, I'm supposed to murder Tim. What? How can that be what I'm supposed to do? What are his objective cards? What is he going to try to do? Am I, which one am I going to pick? Am I going to pick the nice one or am I going to pick the mean one? Oh my gosh. I think I'm I'm always going to pick the nice one in this game. Maybe I'll get bold <laughs> enough to pick the mean one one time, but but maybe that's what will make this game a little more exciting for me is if I go mean and try to make it happen. But uh, you're right. It's just such a shocking slap in the face, a great introduction. What a fantastic pick, Chris Nemesis here. Yeah, that's a that's a great pick, Chris. And I agree, like, there's not a lot revealed during setup, right? You get your character drafted. And so that's exciting. But beyond that, there's not a lot of information revealed. But when you get those cards, it's not only about what your objectives are, it's when you read them, and then you think about it, wait a second, what has everybody yeah. else got? And that, <laughs> that man, that like, my heart starts to thump, and I start to sweat a little bit just at that moment. Mm-hmm. And can I hold my poker face enough to pretend like I'm not the bad guy in this one? You know, like it just it's it sets up for an exciting game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always get stay exciting, but it does set up for an exciting game. I think that's a great intro. Uh, very good pick, Chris. Okay, my number one pick, and not necessarily number one because it's the best one, but one that I think has a great intro is Barrage. This is one. There's a lot of games that have this. A, kind of feel as a resource management game and a worker placement game action selection with these workers. I don't know, kind of a hybrid action point selection worker placement thing going on here. But what I'm supposed to talk about is the introduction here. So what do you have? You have these three different tech tiles that are out there that you can pick from. You have which country are you going to be? Are you going to be the Americans that can do this thing? Each player board has some different powers where As you build more stuff, you're unlocking this thing going on. Which assistant are you going to be that comes tied with the board? It gets randomly kind of distributed. So you're picking a country and an assistant that has a special power. Maybe you're going to be Mari, something, something that can copy another tile that you've already played. So you get the wrench tile. Now you can copy the wrench tile right away and you're spinning your thingy around like nonstop action. That's always fun. You also have to consider where these trippity drops are going to come down in each of these reservoirs from the top of the board as the game goes on. Then you have to consider the scoring criteria for each of these games. So round one, this is going to score you some points. Round two, this is how you're going to score points. Like maybe it's most powerhouses. Maybe round three is most conduits. Maybe round four is most con- Did I ever say conduits? Maybe round four is uh, the dams build or bases is what they're calling here or the elevations. 
So you kind of, you have so much to think about right away. Are you just going to try to build like crazy? Are you going to try to produce energy and move your little token up the energy track to score all these points every round? And then there's also the end game criteria, which maybe that's just kind of a tertiary thing to be thinking, but it's another thing to be thinking about. So you have just this barrage of things to think about as this game opens up and you're trying to decide what you're going to do, what your strategy is going to be and which way you're going to go as you're playing this game. That's barrage, a great intro as far as things to consider and think about before you go ahead and start taking your actions. Adam, this is a great pick. And, and not only just for what you see, you know, what the board reveals, all these things you're talking about. And, and there's a lot of games that do that well. But I think that this is one of the most critical first couple turns you can take in a game. Mm-hmm. Because do you go in, you know, are you the first one that wants to go and steal the best technology tile? Or do you want to rush there and get that two, um, uh, you know, the two order space so that you can, or the contract space so that you're, you can make sure you're filling up a couple of those cheap contracts you're ready to fill. But more importantly, or more exciting, I think is like, is there what seems to be like a really juicy starting space where you can start generating power quickly? Maybe it's a you know a, a, a cheap place that's got a bunch of water that's going to hit it on the next turn. It's already got three dams sitting there. So you know, do you want to go out, out there and like immediately start building your conduit there and your power plant adjacent to it? Super fun first couple turns that will really set the, the stage for the rest of the game. And like many people do, and I've done many turns, are you the one that's like, oh, I'm just going to build up some big infrastructure down at the bottom because it's cheap. And then two turns later, someone else builds above you and you never get to use it the rest of the game. So yeah, very impactful opening here uh, really sets the stage for the story. And like a lot of the games that I've had on my list, the designers actually put a little bit of effort into the actual storytelling. If you haven't done it, read the first couple pages of the instruction manual where it tells the story of why this is all happening and who these characters are, because it's really pretty fascinating in just that little bit of extra storytelling that they throw on the cards and in that book. I think makes a world of difference. Plus all the stuff you guys said, which I, I agree with all that. Great, great pick, Adam. Thank you. All right. Well, my number one pick, and I think the game that I really think deserves the number one spot here, and that's Gaia Project. Gaia Project has such an exciting opening setup. Now, first of all, you have the variable board setup. You have the, you know, you're going to rotate the little space tiles, randomly set them up. So where the planets are aligned is going to dictate who's going to be easiest to, you know, to move around between planets, which planets are closest to the the uh, little, the purple planets um, so that you can Gaia form them. So there's like excitement about that. But then you get this variable uh, round goal setup so that you kind of watch what are the most important things I need to focus on the first couple of rounds. You've got the the end game goals that you're going for. Do do I need to have the most uh, structures in the board? Do I need to have terraform the most green planets? And then the technology setup is unique every time. But then the factions are so unique here and the way you pick them is so fun. My favorite two ways to do this. One is that you just put one more than the number of players and you reverse draft them in player order. Pretty simple. If you're not being super competitive, I think that's a com- completely fun way to go. But what it means is that there's always going to be a unique set of uh, factions. You're not playing with the same ones all the time. You might end up playing with something you haven't played with much or you're not an expert at. And I love that. If you want to play this more competitively, Put the same number out as the number of players and then let people auction on them. So pick three at random if you're playing a three-player game and then people auction their starting points to see what they really want to go after. And that's a fun choice because if you think that there's one that's really going to win with this setup, go all in it. I mean, 
heck, spend 10 points on it because you know nobody wins this game by 10 points. They win it by 20 points, by 30 points, by 50 points. So if you feel really strongly that's the best one, you better bid high on it. Um, but it gives you a fun, you know, exciting moment right at that intro of, am I going to get this one that I'm excited about? That little auction right at the beginning is super fun. So I think Gaia Project just nails the intro. I can't wait to get this set up on the table, see how everything just falls randomly out of the out of the bags as I'm putting out on the on the little round marker and the technology tracks, and uh, and then the game develops great from there. I love the way Board Game Arena does this one, where it lets you ban some factions at first, so you can look at the setup and you're like, you know what, Tim plays this faction really well, and this setup really benefits this particular faction. Mm, let's kick them out of the game and let's see what happens. So each player gets to ban a particular faction out of the game. I love that aspect of it. Then you're picking which ones mm-hmm. you want to have included in the game and you put a little point bid on that. I like that. There's a bunch of different ways. You can, This is kind of similar to Barrage. There's not as many different factions in Barrage. You know, there's only like four or five. But Guy Project, yeah, I like that choice off the bat. This is going to be one of my picks. And then I saw... I, went and read back on the text and Tim's like, this is my number one. So don't steal it. I was like, Oh, whoops. I'm not going to touch that one, but this is a great choice, Tim, the intro here and the setup, the things you have to consider. A lot of games do something similar to this, but I think Gaia project probably does it the best. I will second that great choice, Tim. All right. Well, that will wrap up the first part of the series. I think it's a super fun topic. I can't wait to get into the next part of the series, which will be about the, you know, kind of the, the buildup of a story and how that plays out in some board games. So we'll be talking about that in two weeks. We're just about to wrap up here, but before we leave, I'm going to read a couple quick reviews that we got on Apple Podcasts. Of course, we really appreciate these reviews. When you do leave them, uh, it means a lot to us, and they're also really exciting and fun to read on the air. I'm going to read two really quick this week. One's really short. First one was by Cyclist Edge, and the title was Love These Guys, Five Stars. And I do not even play board games. They really make the games come alive, even for someone who does not play. And those sultry, deep voices of theirs. Ooh, what's all with all the sultry? What's with all the sultry comments? I think I'm. I think it's our editing, Chris. We just bump up the little bass knobs and make us sound super, (laughs) super deep and baritone or something. Sultry, sultry. Well. Well, hopefully, hopefully Cyclist Edge is, uh, you know, going to spend a little less time on his bike and a little more time playing board games after here and our enthusiasm. Time to start. We're talking about him a little bit. That's funny. The second one I'm going to read is by Possums Are Cool, and the title is Fantastic Board Game Podcast, five stars. Just found these guys, and I'm loving the show. Only games podcast I've heard that captures the post-game banter the best gaming experiences provide. I actually want to play games with these guys, which I only could say about shut up and sit down and no pun included. Digging through the back catalog of shows, and they're all top-notch. The hegemony episode captures this massive game in a way no one else has. Our game lasted 10 hours with a dinner break. Absolutely worth diving in if you love board games. P.S. I don't feel like I'm being sold a game either, which seems to be 75% of YouTube content now. Thank you, Possums Are Cool. That was such a great read. And yes, we're not selling you games yet, but if one of us does actually publish a game at some point, then we might start. There we go. But no, uh, no, just joking about that. 100%. We don't care about selling you games. We just love talking about board games. We want to, we want other people to be enthusiastic about the games that we love. But, you know, listen, we don't work for publishers. We're not here to pitch things to you. We just want to have a fun conversation. So thanks for joining us in that conversation and glad you're enjoying it. And yes, possums are cool. That's what I was going to say. Possums are way cool. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody. That will wrap up this episode. Until next week, take care. Good night, all. Bye-bye.